Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and we're down to the final two. After, what was it, 300... 56 MPs through their hat into the ring to become the Tory party leader. We're now down to Liz Truss and Wishy Sina. So today's episode, we're going to take a look at the life and times of the two tap candidates to be Prime Minister and hear from a couple of people who know them best. That's coming up on the podcast in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. And on a Thursday, it must be... The Columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Knight and James Marriott on Times Radio. James Marriott and India Knight. James, you're in the big chair. I'm in the big chair. And every time I'm in the big chair, the power goes to my head slightly more. It's getting worse. I feel slightly drunk on it this morning. So, yeah, I'm at home. You're in the, the big chair. The, I mean, the, lovely big the next chair. obvious step is for you to run to be Prime Minister, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was planning. You, I didn't, is that supposed to be a joke? No, I think you should, I think you should run. I think, I think you'd, um, I think you could build a lot of support. That would be a no way disaster, yeah. You can be my, you can be my, you can be my chancellor or something. Can I can, make I, a cabinet like of to, Times columnists. I'd like to, oh, see, that would be good. What <laughs> job, India, what job would you like in the cabinet of Times columnists? In the cabinet of Times columnists, I'd like, I'd like Nadine Doris's job. I think, I think India would do a much, better, that, a much yeah. better job. I think you could aim higher than that. I think Danny, Danny Finkelstein could take culture media and sport now he has he's got some understanding of running a football club he could be quite although he's yeah anyway get in touch eight seven trouble two start rest of the word times uh cabinet jobs for times uh columnists would be uh that's excellent <laughs> um uh liz truss um uh versus rissy sunak um lots of comment on on both of them in their own ways, both a bit weird, India. Is that a problem? That the, 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 neither of them are what you would describe as normal people. No, they're not. But I think um, one is weirder than the other. Um, Liz Truss was described, I, I think it was Jim Crace in The Guardian, um, described her <laughs> as coming across like a primitive AI, um, which... Which I thought was very good. Um, yes, they are both. They are. They are both odd. But I mean, yeah, she's she's odder than he is. I think. Does that more matter? disconcerting? She's more disconcerting than he is. You can you can sort of explain away his great detachment from the majority of normal people by the vast wealth. In her case, you know, it's more. It appears to be more of a kind of personality thing. I love personal cheeses, by the way. It's kind of... Um, personal cheeses. That's important. That's going to be possible to me. Your, yeah. your own personal cheeses is terrific. <laughs> Thanks, that 
James, do you think being weird matters? And that's not that's not a personal question. That's about talking about. <laughs> yeah, things. well, speaking entirely from my personal experience, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it does matter. I'm inclined to agree with India. I think there's something so weird about Liz Truss. She reminds me a lot of a kind of the weird people who did student politics at university and then how I always assumed would kind of get winnowed out of yeah. politics by the actual process of having to do adult politics. But somehow it's like we're stuck with this weird student politician who's trying to, I don't quite understand what's, but then there was that video. What intrigued me was I was thinking she reminds me so much of a weird, nerdy, socially maladjusted student politician. And then I saw a video of Liz Truss, I think as a Lib Dem student politician, and she's actually got worse. I mean, she was a weird student politician, but she's even weirder now. She's been going in the wrong direction, which is... But that's because she's trying to superimpose this Thatcher-like... Um, I see, I think part of her problem is I think she doesn't speak in her natural voice. I think she does that thing that people usually... Well, Mrs. Thatcher did it too, but usually men do of sort of low, artificially lowering her voice to add, you know, patrician gravitas. And so she talks like this, and it's not entirely comfortable. And it makes her sound very kind of halting and hesitant and unfluent and I think I mean it's probably a bit late to revert back to her natural voice but I'm sure I'm right I think the voice is part of the problem and the most easily fixed thing if she wanted to fix it but her whole manner is so kind of awkward and there is something there is something inauthentic I think Rishi at least you sense there's a kind of authentic weirdness but she's trying to hide her weirdness or under another kind of weirdness which I think somehow sort of makes it even worse and even more disconcerting it kind of gives me the creeps it's interesting what you make, though, about the, the sort of slowing her voice down and trying to sound more deliberate. They're actually far from, instead of sort of, I assume that there's a concern if you sort of talk too quickly, you're sort of babbling and you don't seem in control. Actually, it sounds like she doesn't really know where the sentence is going sometimes. No, it could end up anywhere. It could end up anywhere at all. And I think also that whole that whole issue with sort of playing dress up, you know, with cosplay, I think Jacob Rees-Mogg has it as well. You can't take somebody seriously who goes to work every day wearing a kind of costume. You know, it's not, it's really strange. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I say that as someone who's uh, with, uh, when someone on the team on the show has spent the last fortnight dressing as Magnum PI. Uh, Producer Dom has been coming in wearing a sort of vest and a Hawaiian shirt and and a moustache. And a magnificent moustache. And he has got a magnificent moustache, but it's (laughs) it's a bit weird around the office. Um, uh, I think the dressing up thing is weird. Somebody was trying to, but the, the sort of, you can't, because Liz Truss has been somewhere, where was she this morning? In one of her interviews this morning, she said um, she was, she's, she's denied modelling herself on Margaret Thatcher, saying such comparisons are frustrating. Oh, please. She does it on purpose. The pussy she bow. She literally posed her... it. Yeah, the pussy bow she thing. She stuck where... herself out of a tank. She, she created a tank. the kind of iconic images of yeah. Margaret Thatcher. It's absolutely deliberate. If it's not deliberate, you know, imagine not knowing that about yourself. If she genuinely doesn't know that she's doing it, then there's an even greater problem. It's absolutely deliberate. Of course it's deliberate. And I think the voice is part of it. And, yeah, I mean, I think she thinks she's sort of statesmanlike, and, again, that it adds sort of grandeur and, and, and gravitas. But it just, it's, just, it's just absurd. And the idea of the general electorate, not the teeny-weeny, proportion of um not the teeny weeny mini 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 uh number of uh tory party members finding that not strange is it, it doesn't exist you know so i think if they're interested in ever winning a general election again which i don't think they will by the way because i think the tories have been in for far too long and you know everybody wants to open the door and let some fresh air in but but 
But it's inconceivable that the general electorate, not the Conservative membership, would find that in any way appealing. You know, it's just not going to happen. I can't see it at all. So they should bear that in mind, really. I mean, either they're voting for somebody slightly for a laugh to see what happens, as they did with Boris, or they're voting for somebody electable. And if they want to vote for somebody electable, then surely it's got to be Sunak, who is also weird and incredibly square, but, you know, in quite a reassuring way, I guess, arguably. It's interesting. So, yeah, she was speaking to uh, GB News. She said it's quite frustrating that female politicians always get compared to Margaret Thatcher. I mean... That's it's so true. disingenuous. And then so says, whereas male politicians don't get compared to Ted Heath. Well, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, actually, weirdly, uh, weirdly, Theresa May's been compared to Ted Heath quite a lot lately because of her humor. But actually, we've had, you know, we've had, how many heirs to Blair have we had uh, over the year? You know, the, that was because David, David Cameron modelling himself on Tony, but that, that sort of stuff happens all the time. But if you are literally going to dress up as Margaret Thatcher... Yeah, it's the dressing get, up that's so strange. Don't then pretend to be cross... Mm. Uh, when yeah, I find that I do find that um a little bit odd. Uh, let's talk about your um your your column today, James, uh, in the Times uh, yes. on Jane Austen. Yes, God, this is one of those ones where I... have you have you watched this this uh, this persuasion, the adaptation of Jane Austen's? Yeah, I have. Well, about? I tried to watch it. I had to. I had to give up halfway through. It was um, it was getting on my nerves. It was getting on my nerves quite a bit. I'm I'm definitely a traditionalist uh, when it comes to adaptations of old books i want them to be like the books i mean that's probably unimaginative but this one which was um full of kind of modern slang and characters saying things like oh god i'm a total empath and it's like you're in the Ugh. 19th century yeah like, it's the 19th up. century come on just speak like it's the 19th century a little bit anyway uh this is i'm not i'm not i'm not I'm not pro this. And my column was trying to work out why it is that people have this conviction that uh, Jane Austen can be kind of uh, made to sound modern in a way that I'm not sure every author gets this kind of stuck on them. And, and why, why is that, do you think? I mean, it's not like it's, it's not like the Canterbury Tales. It's not like it's written in an in a almost unintelligible language. You could just have adapted persuasion and not put yo dudes in it. Exactly. Yeah, persuasion without yo dudes, I'd be very pro. I mean, God, my, probably my theory is, I don't know, I think one of those columns I filed and I thought, how am I going to explain this on the radio tomorrow? Basically, um, my... <laughs> Do you not think about that in all of your columns? <laughs> probably a little bit. Um, but basically, I think um, people in the past were very different to us in a variety of ways. And the thing that we would recognise as modern personality really only emerges in the 18th century. It's only the 18th century that people start to think about themselves in ways that are recognisably modern, things like introspection, self-reflection, the idea of yourself as an individual, a particular way of relating to your friends. These things don't really exist in history before the 18th century. The first time we really see all that is in Jane Austen. She's basically the first person in which we ever see, the first author ever to see personalities that to us are recognisably modern. And I think that's what people respond to in her, but it gives people this sort of slightly erroneous sense that, oh my God, she's so modern. Let's really mm. like just juice the modern, juice that modernness out of her and make her super, super relatable. There was, I was reading about um, a very alarming theatre production of Persuasion that happened this year. It's really the year to trash Persuasion, the Jane Austen novel, uh, where <laughs> Captain Wentworth appeared on stage in designer trainers to the sound of uh, thumping club music. And I just think maybe let's not, oh. maybe let's not do that. You sound appalled. 
I am completely appalled. I'm completely appalled because I think it so insults people intelligence to think that they're not going to be able to understand or relate to or or imagine a world that isn't immediately very like the world that we live in today. It's so stupid. It make it turns people into idiots. You know that the, the, their brain, their mind, isn't elastic enough to encompass unfamiliar things, or unfamiliar attitudes, or unfamiliar language, or unf- unfamiliar, I don't know, social exchanges. Um, and that everything has to be kind of made idiotic, and like it could be something you've just seen on TikTok. I just think it just makes people <laughs> stupider and stupider and stupider. I know, and but we've been talking about more and more entrenched. With- more and more yeah. entrenched in the idea that the only way, you know, that, that, that we live the, the perfect life and that everybody, the whole of history was wrong about everything, including personality and character. Yeah, I mean, but they were talking about it. We're talking about it. And that's what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we've fallen into their trap. It's so, so frustrating. Very, they want people very like quickly, me to be angry. The death of the corporate lunch, apparently. The corporate 1pm booking is over. It's been replaced by the you only live once blowout with friends and family. Um, I've, I mean, I've had probably, I've, I've had a couple of blowouts with you, James, which has started off at lunchtime and they've got a bit later, but maybe our people aren't doing this anymore. Yeah. When, when that, when I was reading about that story, I was thinking, when was the last time I had a corporate lunch? And it probably was with you, which was very enjoyable. I think we had a burger, um, and probably a pint and it was very nice. Yeah. But I think, I think but maybe, the... maybe that was just two work colleagues hanging out. Yeah, it's that. No, it was a corporate lunch. Corporate. Don't, don't, don't. I felt oh, very okay. important being on my corporate lunch with you with my burger. <laughs> India. Yeah, I hate any lunch. I hate any kind. I really like eating. And so I hate any kind of occasion where you're trying to enjoy the food you're eating, but you're also sort of being asked to perform in some way that's ultimately going to be judged. Um, So I hate any kind of worky lunch thing. Such a good point. Um, yeah, awful. I mean, I like I like eating with friends or eating with family or eating, but you know, in a kind of very relaxed way where everybody can just kind of yeah. bumble about, saying what, talking about what they usually talk about, and and not have to kind of shine while eating overpriced things and trying not to dribble them down your front. Well, I was going to suggest that we met up for lunch, the three of us soon, but I mean, no, but that sure. would be I'm really like, nice. That'll be, be fine. Let's lunch. do that. <laughs> Let, we'll get that. We'll get that in the diary. Lovely to speak to you as ever. James Marriott and India Night. Then, of course, you can read James in the Times every week, India in the Sunday Times. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's a two-horse race. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. CCHQ, Shawnee Campaign Headquarters. Yes, we've been guiding you through the Tory leadership contest with CCHQ, the Shawnee uh, Campaign Headquarters. And now, suddenly, it's a two-horse race. Our 
out of 357 Conservative MPs, about 356 of them joined the starting line for the race to replace Boris Johnson. But now we're down to the final two. In the expensive colours of a Savile Road tailor, Rishi Sunak is the tipped favourite amongst Tory MPs. But coming up on the inside in some 80s fashion, viding the Iron Lady thing all the way, is Liz Truss. But to the public, they're both relatively unknown. So what we thought we'd do today is put that right. Today, CCHQ Racing gives you the inside track on the last two runners and the big hurdles they've got to overcome. So let's start with... I'm Rishi Sunak. I'm standing to be your next Prime Minister because Britain's potential is limitless and I'm the best person to lead us into the future. Now, there's no getting away from it. Rishi Sunak is a money man. At school, the fee-paying Winchester College, he loved economics. And then at Oxford, he shunned student politics, preferring the university's investment society. Now, few of us would delight in being reminded of the views we held when we were young. But the recent emergence of this clip of a young Rishi Sunak has left him squirming. I have friends who are aristocrats, I have friends who are upper class, I have friends who are, you know, working class. But I'm not working class, but I mix and match. (laughs) Yeah, we're not working class. He spent his 20s in the city with the likes of Goldman Sachs before then becoming an MP in 2015, just days before his 35th birthday. He used one of his first speeches in the House of Commons, his maiden speech, to issue a plea to be careful with the cash. Under this government, Britain will live within its means. No more irresponsible borrowing. No more spiralling debt at the taxpayer's expense. No more passing the debt to the next generation. Less than five years later, he became the Chancellor of the Exchequer, breaking all of those rules, spending unprecedented amounts of money to rescue the economy from the devastating effects of the coronavirus outbreak. Today I am making available an initial £330 billion of guarantees, equivalent to 15% of our GDP. Yeah, his... Grandparents were born in the Punjab, he came to England, and they came to England in the 1960s. Rishi Sunak was born in Southampton. His father was an NHS GP, his mother a pharmacist. And as a child, he helped her to keep her books. Again, he's a money man. In 2009, he married Ash- Akshata Murthy, the daughter of the billionaire tech giant N.R. Naranya Murthy. A fact which went largely unnoticed until earlier this year when it emerged she was a non-dom or non-domicile, which means she didn't pay tax on her earnings in the UK. And Rishi Sunak's personal ratings tanked. Suddenly there was a lot of focus on his life as a financier. Spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley too, where he sometimes seemed a bit more at home. He describes himself as British Indian. And when he replaced William Hague as, an M- as the MP for Richmond in Yorkshire, he swore his oath on the... Bhagavad Gita, a 700-verse Sanskrit scripture that is part of the Hindu epic Mahabharata. I swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, her heirs and successors according to law. So help me God. There he is being sworn in. Well, once in the Commons, he quickly impressed his colleagues, although his efforts to impress these students on an early school visit in MP were less successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a coke oh, addict. Oh, a total coke addict. <laughs> it still gets me every time. Telling some students I'm a total coke addict. Is it Mexican, Mexican, Mexican coke in particular? 
David Cameron made him a junior minister, an act of faith that he repaid by ignoring pleas from the Remainer PM to instead back leave in the 2016 referendum. In the 2016 Tory leadership contest which followed, he supported Michael Gove. Uh, when Theresa May quit, he took a different approach. Together with Robert Jenrick and Oliver Dowden, two of his closest friends in politics, having become MPs around the same time. The three of them wrote an article for the Times Red Box backing Boris Johnson as the only candidate, they said, who could see off the Tory party's many opponents. They all later joined Boris Johnson's cabinet. And at that time, Rishi Sunak was described as Boris Johnson's favourite minister. Aides in Downing Street once joked to me about the frustrations that they couldn't clone Rishi. How times change. Well, in 2019, in the general election, Rishi Sunak stood in for the Prime Minister during TV election debates, proving himself more capable of sticking to key messages than his boss. The NHS is not for sale, never has been and never will be. And then he suddenly replaced Sajid Javid as Chancellor in February 2020 at the age of just 39, the second youngest occupant of the Treasury after George Osborne for more than 100 years. Osborne himself tipped him at the time as a future PM. Well, Rishi Sunak's first budget, delivered after less than a month in the job, was supposed to herald the Great Leveling Up project, promised by the Tories investing in roads, skills and the towns neglected for years. But it was overshadowed by the havoc wreaked by COVID-19. We promised to level up with new roads, railways, broadband and homes. This budget gets it done. Each new round of economic measures he calmly announced during the crisis brought inevitable expensive calls for more. We can all... Eat out to help out. But it also fueled speculation that he might one day make the move for the top job. And yet there was this creeping sense that maybe it was all a bit too slick. The Instagram posts with his signature on, the hoodie, the £95 sliders, the £180 smart mug, the photo op filling up a car with petrol that wasn't his. And then tensions grew between number 10 and number 11. Far from wanting to clone him, they wanted to fire him. Where Boris Johnson wanted to splash the cash, Rishi Sunak said it had to be paid for, forcing through a rise in national insurance to tackle COVID NHS backlogs. The Chancellor who'd waived his checkbook in the pandemic was determined to balance the books. Yet he stuck with Boris Johnson through it all, throughout COVID, throughout the Owen Patterson lobbying scandal, throughout wallpaper gate, even sticking by him through Partygate. And then the ultimate nerd, Rishi Sunak, received a fine for turning up early to a Covid meeting to find Boris Johnson having a little birthday party. Yeah, I, I, I'm in the cabinet room for a Covid meeting, much like the other 100, 200, God knows how many other Covid meetings so what, I've What did you to. see when you walked in? I mean, this is I mean, one of the things that's now being investigated as something that broke the rules. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, you're asking me about something that happened almost two years ago. What you saw, it turned out, was a plate of sandwiches. And then, eventually, a couple of weeks ago, Rishi Sunak had finally had enough. He became the second person to quit the government after the Chris Pincher scandal proved one step too far, following Sajid Javid out the door. That set in motion the series of events which eventually led to the Boris Johnson's resignation. And so Rishi Sunak launched his campaign on a platform of being the experienced candidate, prepared to tell the hard truths when the country is grappling with the cost of living crisis, a war in Ukraine and the post-pandemic recovery. Do we confront this moment with honesty, seriousness and determination? Or do we tell ourselves comforting fairy tales that might make us feel better in the moment, but will leave our children worse off tomorrow?
His pitch is he'll not indulge in fancy economics of unfunded tax cuts, but take difficult decisions for the country. He's also promised rising defence spending, a manifesto for women's rights and a commitment to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. Well, it worked in Westminster. He got the support of more Tory MPs than his rivals to make it onto the final list of two candidates to be voted on by party members. But YouGov polls of the Tory membership showing trailing Liz Truss. His pitch, or is he... So how is he going to turn things around? Well, earlier, I spoke to the Conservative MP, Kevin Hollinrake. His constituency in Thurscombe, Moulton, borders Rishi Sunak's in Richmond, and the two of them have become close friends over the years. So I asked Kevin, what is Rishi Sunak really like? He's actually a really, really decent person, and... Um... Yeah, a very normal person, actually. People think he's kind of hey, he's slick and all this kind of stuff. Actually, he's a person who's he's funny and he's engaging and he's very, very optimistic and enthusiastic. I mean, I first actually spoke to him ever when he rang up uh, trying to do some research on Richmond. I'd just been selected for Thurscombe Moulton as the candidate. And I squeezed through in the fourth round of voting in my selection. Rishi, this unknown person in Richmond, and they're all looking for a local farmer or something to be a, a, the replacement for William Hague gets through in the first round of voting against three other candidates. I mean, you do that, you've got to get more than 50% of the vote. So um, it's quite incredible. To me, he's like the Harry Potter of politics. You know, to be able to do that was just astounding. So he's, he's somebody I have a great deal of time for, both as, in terms of his capability, his intellect, but also just be a genuinely normal, decent person. How did he do that then? How did he pull that off? Like you said, he wasn't a farmer. He, you know, he's a... Very rich southern banker. How does he win over Richmond and Yorkshire? I mean, he really does his homework for starters. So he really, he spent a lot of time understanding the constituency. But he's just, he's got just a brilliant brain, and a, and he's very very articulate. That's the thing. So when pre- presented with a question, he seems to be able to answer any question in such a compelling way. And as I say, he's very optimistic and enthusiastic as well. So it's. It's not dry, it is exciting, and that's when it is best. So I wasn't there that night, so I can't say exactly what happened, but it was it shocked, I think, the whole area. I mean, you can imagine people walking in that room for the first time, never had met any of the candidates. Well, they'd met some of the candidates. One was the chairman of the association, and they, they're not naturally have an advantage, of course. So, and just wipes the floor with everybody. But it's, it, is, it isn't just about the job. To me, is is a very normal funny, decent person as well, which I think is most people won't necessarily see when they see him on television. Give me an example of then of something he's done which is different to his public perception. You're obviously thinking of something. Uh... <laughs> You're very insightful. Well, I remember one occasion, I was, I was just chatting away to him, we were both backbenchers, and he said... Um, and Shannon, I said, he said, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, well, I've got the kids and the wife and kids coming down, but I've nothing, nothing to do tonight because they're all going to watch um, Justin Bieber at the O2. I said, and I said, I can't think of anything worse than Justin Bieber. He says, oh, no, he said, Justin Bieber's fantastic, fantastic. That song, Mama Don't Like, look how it is now, Mama Don't Like You and She Likes Everyone. He started singing this song, you know, I mean, he's just... And so he's he's got interests outside politics, which is great as well. Rishi Sunak's a, a, a secret Justin Bieber fan. Might be uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> might, might be the best scoop I've ever got. And how <laughs> how how do you think he's doing in this campaign? It feels like the, and this is the characterisation that others others have put on it. The saner, more centrist wing of Conservative MPs have have rode in behind him. Others who want a more traditional 
cut tax, cut spending, small state, right-wing approach are, are weighing in behind uh, his opponents. The polling suggests that Tory party members are not backing him at the moment. What do you think he needs to do over the next few weeks to turn that around? Well, I, I think his centre ground is where he is. You know, that's where we need to be to win elections. And, and I think people will see that. You know, we can't win an election from the right wing. We've got to be in the centre ground. I've seen the polls and they've been interesting. But the, poll, the key poll I think I've seen is the only, is the only person that be, beats Keir Starmer, which I think is really important. It's, it's pretty pointless, this game of politics, if you're in opposition. So we've got to win the next election. I think he's best place to do that. I'm a big believer in following the bookies' odds in all this stuff. And, uh, and only a week ago, Rishi was, I think, third favourite at 72. I've got to say I had a few quid on at that. And I think what he's done over the last week is really turned round uh, the membership just by his TV performances. Mm. So I think over the next month, I think lots of members will tune into that. And really, I very much hope he'll convince them that he's the right choice, the best choice. Given he's, he's clearly had a tough... You know, well, he was thrown at the deep end when he became Chancellor right at the beginning of the pandemic. He's soared in popularity. And then he had a tough time earlier this year. A lot of grief about... Actually, about his family and his wife. And it must be very difficult. You know, whatever you think about how much money people need to have. Having your family's personal finances dragged through it all in public must be tough. Part, part of me wonders why, he do, why is he stuck it out? Why is he staying in politics? Why not pack up and clear off? He, could, he, doesn't, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the exposure. He's already been charged of the exchequer. Why does he want to go up that one more notch, do you think? Yeah, that's a question I asked him, actually, after all that happened. I wondered if it had diminished his, his ambition, because uh, he's, he's clearly ambitious. Most of us in here are ambitious. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But he, he just believes that you know, he's here to fix the problem. So you can see where the opportunities are, but also we've got a responsibility to do our bit. And I think, listen, of the 650 members of parliament in this place, we all think that. And Rishi's just one of those people. But I think some of us have more capability than others um, to do that. And I think it's, you know, you see somebody as remarkable as Rishi does that cap have that capability. And is, I tell you what, I think he has others lack. I'm not talking about the other candidates, I mean others of us in Parliament, the ability to think strategically and implement. And I'll give you an example of that. As a backbencher, he wrote a policy on free ports, as you might remember, and it's a policy that he'd seen work in other parts of the world. And he wrote, that, he wrote a paper on it, and now that's a, obviously a policy is implemented that will be a real opportunity for this country and for places like Teesside um, and other, on, I think there's nine... Uh, in total, free ports. So I think he'll do that with lots of other policies. He's got some other policies coming forward on energy, energy security. So to be energy secure by 2045, once he's set that out, his agenda, he will deliver on it. He knows how to get from there to there, so which I think is really, really important. So yes, he wants to fix problems, but I think he has the strategic oversight and capability to implement. Kevin Hollinwake there, the Tory MP and friend of Rishi Sunak, telling us why he thinks he should be Prime Minister uh, and also revealing his love of Justin Bieber. So there we have it. Liz Truss loves uh, Whitney Houston. Rishi Sunak loves Justin Bieber. We will find out more about Liz Truss next here on Times Radio. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery in your own home or eating a quarter pounder with cheese in your PJs. There's nothing like tucking into a box set with a Big Mac or delving into your secret stash of dips then dunking a McNugget in three of your favourite sauces. Because what you do in your home is your business. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. Order now on the My McDonald's app or via Uber Eats and Just Eat. <laughs> Participating restaurants only. Serving times and delivery fees apply. Service charge may apply. See the My McDonald's app, Uber Eats or Just Eat for full details. 
Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Right, so we've looked in depth at the life and times of Wishy Sunak. Now, let's take a look at Liz Truss. I'm Liz Truss. I want to unleash Britain's potential. I've shown I can deliver as Foreign Secretary. I'm now ready to lead as your Prime Minister. You know, Liz Truss is a bit hard to pin down, from the child of CND protesters to Margaret Thatcher Tribute Act. She's now the darling of right-wing Brexit Conservatives, but the path to where she is now was far from straightforward. When she was four, her family moved to Scotland, then Leeds. She even lived in Canada for a year. Her father was a professor of pure mathematics at the University of Leeds, while her mother was a nurse and teacher. She went to a comprehensive school. Both of her parents were members of the left-wing campaign for nuclear disarmament. Truss herself described them as both being to the left of Labour. So much so, in fact, that her father refused to campaign for her when she stood for Parliament as a Conservative. But there was a lot to get through before then. At Oxford University, she was president of the Liberal Democrats Society, even speaking at a party conference in 1994 in favour of scrapping the royal family. I agree with Paddy Ashdown when he said... Everybody in Britain should have the chance to be a somebody. But only one family can provide the head of state. Well, after university, Liz Truss worked for the oil company Shell and then for Cable and Wireless, where she rose to economic director, later going on to be deputy director at the think tank Reform. Then I became a Conservative and absolutely loved it. I found people that I agreed with, that I could relate to. At the 1997 Conservative Party conference, she met her uh, Hugh O'Leary, her, her now husband. It's a marriage which has survived her having an affair with another Tory MP, Mark Field. Well, she stood unsuccessfully for election for the Conservatives in 2001 and 2005 before making it onto David Cameron's A-list, parachuted into the safe Conservative seat of South West Norfolk, becoming the MP there in 2010. Two years later, she became a minister and then joined the Cabinet in 2014. She means she's now the longest continuously serving member of the cabinet, having served under David Cameron, Theresa May and Boris Johnson. And what a lot of jobs. First, as Environment Secretary, perhaps still most famously. We import two thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. (laughs) Yeah, then in 2016, uh, in the EU referendum, she backed Remain. So I think we've got to be very careful about taking that single market for granted and being outside that single market. And the single market isn't something that is a sexy, exciting thing to explain, but it is really crucial. But not so crucial that she isn't now an outspoken advocate for Brexit. But a few years ago, when I interviewed Liz Truss at the Tory party conference, I asked her about all this chopping and changing. So you were a Lib Dem and then you weren't. You were a Republican and then you weren't. You were a Remainer and then you weren't. Is it possible that you've got this sort of state stand back, let everyone just get on with themselves, even if let there be winners and losers? Is it possible that that's wrong? Well, I say my political views sort of went on a pathway. So I started, I started off with two parents who were active members of the nuclear disarmament movement. I then moved, you know, I thought that was wrong because I, I reacted against the political correctness at school. I was annoyed by the sort of the idea that everybody can have prizes culture that pervaded in my comprehensive school in Leeds. It was seen as, you know, we talked about girly swats, but you were seen as a swat if you tried to do any work. 
Well, then under Theresa May, she became Justice Secretary and Lord Chancellor, the first woman to hold that role, where she had some novel ideas to stop drugs being smuggled into prison by drones. I was at HMP Pentonville last week. They've now got patrol dogs who are barking, which helps deter drones. Does it? Uh, she then moved on to become Chief Secretary to the Treasury. When Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, he made her his International Trade Secretary, striking trade deals around the world. She impressed so much that when Boris Johnson uh, had another reshuffle, he appointed her Foreign Secretary, one of the great officers of state. And she's always been tasked with one of the most difficult parts of the government's agenda. She did manage to secure the release of two British nationals who had been arrested and detained in Iran, including Nazanin Sagari Ratcliffe. Her release was something that eluded all of her predecessors, Boris Johnson and Dominic Raab included. She's also sought to portray herself as the steely opponent of Russia, although her efforts to sanction supporters of Vladimir Putin were undermined this year when the Foreign Office posted online a photo of Dmitry Medvedev, who wasn't being sanctioned, instead of Dmitry Lebedev, who was. We believe fundamentally in the self-determination of the Ukrainian people. The UK and our allies would put in place severe sanctions targeting individuals and institutions. Well, seeking to succeed again where so many others have failed, the born-again Brexiteer was put in charge of trying to fix the Northern Ireland Protocol, remember, which was signed and agreed by Boris Johnson and his cabinet, by introducing new legislation scrapping huge swathes of their own post-Brexit agreement. In recent months, she's also doggedly defended Boris Johnson, and has been rewarded with that loyalty. Privately, Boris Johnson has made it clear that it, she is his preferred candidate to run the country. So she launched her leadership bid by challenging Margaret Thatcher and with a pitch to unleash the potential of Britain. To win the next election, we need to deliver, deliver and deliver for the British people. Well, her main pitch is to cut taxes on day one of her premiership, uh, including a reversal of the national insurance rise introduced in April to pay for the NHS backlogs, scrapping a 6p rise in corporation tax due next year, and an expansion of the marriage tax break. All policies which Rishi Sunak has dismissed as fairy tale economics. Liz Truss has also promised to spend up to 3% of GDP on defence, suspend green energy levels, levies, and has hinted at ending the ban on fracking. Well, it's a pitch which has paid off. She overtook the brief favourite, Penny Morden, to make it onto the final two candidates for Conservative leader and the next Prime Minister. When she was eight years old, Liz Truss played the part of Margaret Thatcher in a school mock election. She didn't win then, but could it be second time lucky? Earlier, I caught up with her supporter, Conservative MP Sir John Redwood, who uh, not only backs Liz Truss now to be Prime Minister, but happens to be Margaret Thatcher's former policy adviser. He was a minister in her government too. So I started off by asking what Liz Truss is really like. Well, she's easy to chat to, got a good sense of humour, gets on well with colleagues, works in a team. Uh, I've been helping her and working with her with a group of other MPs on the Northern Ireland Protocol issue where she's been fantastic. And she had to take on Mr Sunak, who, who didn't want us to stand up to the EU and sort the protocol out. And I'm very pleased she won through and she showed she could run through in a collective government because she had a strong case and a strong belief. I mean, I've watched her all the time. She's been an MP. I remember when she first joined the House and she came in as a huge enthusiast for lower taxes, free enterprise economics, more growth, getting people 
uh, into better paid jobs and creating more prosperity by having the right economic policy. That was always my kind of economics and I've watched her progress since and I think she's great. Uh, she was also a huge enthusiast for remaining in the EU as well. Does it not? Does that not work? No, she wasn't an enthusiast for remaining in the EU. I think she did that out of loyalty to the government she was in and probably regretted it thereafter. Uh, but since the public made their decision, she has come fully on board, fully understands what we're trying to do. And as I just told you, um, she had to stand up for Brexit and stand up against the EU uh, when Rishi Sunak wouldn't. Uh, lots of people have made comparisons between Liz Truss and Margaret Thatcher, not not just because they're both women, I don't think, but, you know, she even appeared on the on the on the telly the other night wearing a, an outfit very similar to a, a Thatcher. You actually obviously worked for Margaret Thatcher, number 10. Then you were a, a minister for her. Are those comparisons over eggs, do you think? Or do you think there is they, they have got something in common? Yeah, of course, they got something in common. They've got a, a lot of beliefs in common and some policies in common and. I was proud to be chief policy advisor to Margaret Thatcher in her middle years when she was a great tax cutting prime minister who got the economy growing after a, a miserable 1970s had done it so much damage. Uh, and when she developed a much better private sector by freeing them up and charging them sensible rates of tax. And Liz that wants to do exactly the same thing. So I, I think she will be in that mold and I wish her every success. How big a challenge, if she does win, how big a challenge do you think she faces just to overcome political gravity? Conservatives have been in power but for 14 years by the time of the next election. I mean, clearly there are tough economic times ahead. How big is the challenge she'd face on that first day in number 10, do you think? Well, I think it's a big challenge to bring the party together. But of course, Liz uh, stayed loyal to the outgoing prime minister. And so all those in the party who felt very bruised by the removal of the prime minister... Um, don't have the same worries about her as about those ministers who resigned and brought him down. Uh, but she's also the future, and she draws on great strands of conservative opinion uh, that have done well for us in past years and resonate with the public. So I think she can bring enough of the party together uh, when she steps over the threshold of Downing Street on September the 5th or 6th, uh, which I hope she will be doing. And um, do you think that when she does do that, she needs to appoint a cabinet? One of the big criticisms of Boris Johnson when he became prime minister is that there was a very clear list of who was and wasn't allowed to become a minister. Do you think in order to, to bring the party back together, does Liz Trust need to reach across every part of the party, whether it's remain or leave or, or those who are loyal to Boris Johnson or, or, or those who called for him to go in order to sort of get the party back together again after what's been a pretty rough and tumble couple of years four five six years well of course she's got to reach out to various strands of opinion within the party um the strands of opinion she backs are, are the majority strands as far as the members are concerned but there are other strands that are important and we've just seen in the leadership election so far we've got a lot of talent uh people who would have liked to have been leader but fell short of mp support and I think we need to try out some of that comparatively new talent in more senior jobs. And I expect Liz will be doing that. And if Rishi Sunak becomes Prime Minister, how bad will that be? Well, I'm not backing Rishi Sunak. Uh, I'm not expecting him to become Prime Minister, but I don't go around making public denunciations about uh, the virtues or vices of fellow Conservatives. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, John Redwood, thanks very much for joining us on Times Radio. That's John Redwood there. 
not not going to get into the mudslinging. Uh, it has to be said, people on uh, both of the other camps are more than happy to do that. Uh, well, hopefully you're now bang up to date. You know all about the two people vying to be Prime Minister. Uh, whether or not it makes any difference to your, um, uh, your view on them uh, is up to you. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 